0: This morning I want to read from Titus chapter 1, Titus is the book we are studying in verses 6 through 9 and as Chris said, it is a companion passage, namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Let's pray. Our Father in God, we thank you and praise you once again for the opportunity to meet today. Thank you that the word of God is a light unto our path. We thank you, Father, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you, Father, that it is able to be relied upon because it's pure, because it's clean. We thank you and praise you, Father, that your word does not change like you. We thank you that it is ever true as it reflects your essence as well. And as we come to the word of God this morning in this practical area in the weeks ahead, we pray that you'd help us to once again look to the right standard to look to the right place for guidelines, and that your word would give us instruction that is not only biblical and practical, but, Father, is one that we follow. And so we thank you for the opportunity to study and to look into the word of God this morning and pray for your guidance in this time together. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Biblical standards for appointing elders part one, part one why. We will be on this, or in this study, for a few weeks. I will not prolong it, but it'll take us a few weeks to get through it in our study of these standards. In our context, and I was debating whether even review, but it is important to understanding what is about to come. In our context, in verses one to four, we have learned our writer is Paul, We have learned our recipient is a man by the name of Titus, and we have seen how Paul has reflected, and that is important to us again, on the character of God. That he is sovereign. That God cannot lie, and it is God who brings peace and also brings grace to us. Paul has also spoken about his authority so that Titus and those who he ministered to would understand it, that he is both a bondservant or a slave of God, and he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. We found out from verse 4 that Titus was specifically, as we saw visually last week, on the island of Crete in the Mediterranean Sea. Then, as we dealt with it last week in verse 5, we saw that... Paul moved from the salutation to reminding Titus that there was some unfinished work for him to do, that his task was not yet complete. And he gave him two specific instructions. One, to set things in order. And as we dealt with that last week, he was to straighten out, like an orthodontist does, teeth. He was to straighten out the problems that existed in that local church or the local churches. The second thing that he was to do according to verse 5 at the end of the verse which is where we left off is he was to appoint, he was to put into office elders in every church and in dealing with that we did see the importance of structure and leadership in God's church, something that is usually frowned upon. But it is important and it always has been. It has been part of God's pattern from the beginning. He has always had people, regardless of what the structure of his uh, guidance was, he has always had leadership and structure to it, just like he does in the family. It is also something or pattern that was followed by the Apostle Paul. As he went from place to place, he not only gave the gospel, but he clearly, as we saw, appointed elders to carry on the ministry with responsibilities. They were independent churches and they were local churches that he established and he was also looking for through Titus and we'll say more about that. So, the task was to be completed. Titus was to complete this task now and to continue to do what Paul had left them here to do. And that raises a question in our mind and should. And that is, how was Titus to do this? How was he to appoint elders in every church? For example, was it simply left up to him? Appoint elders, it's your job. You do it, you decide how to do it, and just go about, just make sure you get it done. Should he appoint elders based upon the culture? That is the changing time. We're not back now in the Old Testament. We're not in the day in which the Lord Jesus Christ was on the earth. In fact, the apostles are going to be leaving. So for now, appoint them based upon your culture? Should he appoint them based upon what the Roman Empire has set for standards for that day and age since they are under the Roman Empire? Should they just base it upon what society thinks should be done? Or should Titus appoint these elders based upon the majority of the rule? In other words, even as you're on the island of Crete, as you go from one town, town to the other, when you get to one town, ask them, what do you think? Who do you think we should appoint? And then move on to another town, and maybe they will have some other standards, and whatever they think, then you appoint the elders based upon that popularity and what the people really feel. Were there to be any guidelines whatsoever for Titus? That's where verses 6 Through nine, come in, and I think I want to raise right at the beginning. That is fine, Pastor Dan. We do know, and you probably are very familiar with the text. A number of you, because you've been here quite a long time, many of you, and you're familiar with what we're going to be dealing with, or some of the material I think that I will present. Well, you may not be with some of the other, but is it really relevant to today? What Paul is about to say. Does it have any significance to the 21st century? Is this even important to us? Or are we just going to learn some academic historical information that was guidelines for a man that was on an island of Crete some 2,000 years ago? Well, let me ask you this question. How should a congregation today pick It's leaders. How should leaders be determined in local churches in the year 2013? And if you don't think that's an important question, let me be even more practical. Right here in the Merrimack Valley, not too far from here, several churches in this area have brand new pastors right down the street from us. One of the churches that we formed and came out of Fellowship Bible Church has a new pastor. A church that we have associated with for a lot of years in Burlington has a new pastor. It is very practical to raise these questions, I believe, in this century because we are always faced with it. And if the the Lord should tarry and all of us, die and other churches are raised up and this church, perchance, is still in existence, how are they to pick their leadership? Has this got any relevance whatsoever to us? How should it be done? How should a new pastor be taken on? How should elders be taken on? Should it be, listen carefully, by popularity, should it be According to education, what degrees have they got? How many degrees have they got? What are the degrees in? Should it be, to try to make it very practical, where is their stand on music? What do they think about music? What do they teach about music? Should it be, how old are they? We want an old pastor. We want a young pastor so he doesn't have a heart attack. What should be the standards? Should that be the standards of determining? I think it's very practical. Should it be lineage? Should it be because the father and grandfather were pastors and elders, and so the sons should be elders or the daughters or whatever? Should it be based upon lineage? that people are put in to leadership. Should he be, I've gotten this one many times, should it be that the elders or pastors, we'll talk more about that, should be people persons? That we want someone who's going to be a leader because they're a people person. Should that be the criteria for us determining it? Should it be by congregational popularity? Should it be that let's just get the congregation together and have a vote? And whoever gets the most votes wins the most straws, and he gets elected? Should it be that we go to Rome and have all the cardinals vote on who has the right to be elders and pastors? Should it be, and I am bringing up carefully Believe me, folks, I have taken time to study. I know you know that. And I have tried to deal with the practical things that come up every day across the path of my 30 years, plus having ministered. Should it be that we will have our leadership based upon, we want some modern ideas. We want someone, is he going to give that instruction to Titus, get someone who has some thinking that fits the century that you're in. Should it be that we want leadership whose appearance is like it should be in 2013? Throw the tie away, throw the suit away. We want jeans and we want whatever. Or should it be the other way? No, we only want leadership based upon appearance who has a three-piece suit. Or The one that goes down to the proper religious store and gets the garb where they've got the formality, or, which still happens, Pastor Dan should dig out his gown from his master's degree and every Sunday preach with that on with uh, the formal, I don't even know, I forget what it was, tassel or whatever it was. I got it someplace in my uh, closet. I don't know, it might be in the attic. But that, that thing that tells what degree I have and, and whatever, and I should, that they wear that. Should it be someone who has management skills? Should it be someone who has, this is a very common one today, we want our leadership and elders, we're going to choose them and the pastor on the basis of their ability to grow the church. I thought Christ was doing that. But we want, we want people who will be able to do that. Uh, This has nothing to do with that cell phone ringing, but is it someone who has to have the ability to It's in the notes. Have the ability to deal with technology and know how to use An iPad and an iPhone and to be able to use the proper technology Should that be the basis of how do you determine? You guys might think I'm just boring you and this is not real Whether or not he is seeker-friendly Should our leadership be the type that are seeker-friendly? Or let me get more practical. Should it be someone that's of a Baptist background, a Presbyterian background, a fundamental, excuse me, a fundamental background? Or should we seek leadership on the basis of whether or not they're dispensational, whether or not they're reformed, whether or not they are charismatic? I guarantee that by now I have touched everybody and irritated almost all of you. Because some of you, somewhere along the line would say yes, 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 yes or whatever to something there. But what is the criteria? Let me go to one more thing. All right? We're asking the question about how you decide to put leadership into the church. Let's deal with the other side of the coin. Maybe there's somebody visiting here today, checking a church out, checking us out. I don't know. What about if you are to be relocated? What if you're going to move physically? Or, I have absolutely been in fellowship too long, I'm bored, I'm upset, I've had enough of Pastor Dan, and I wouldn't blame you for any of that, by the way, and I'm going to move on to another church. Let me put it in that realm. How do you determine that you go into that church? Well, obviously based upon whether it's close to my house. Or should it be based upon whether the leadership fits some of the criteria that I just said? Do you even consider whether or not the leadership have any qualifications? Or you, do you just ask a series of questions about whether they're Baptist, Presbyterian, charismatic, et cetera? You go down that long list and what's going on at the church? Or should you go to that church trying to determine who's leading that church? And I want to know, I want an interview with the pastor. How long have you been there? How many people in your family? Where do they go? What's it like? Have you ever been divorced? Have you done this? Have you ever been a drunkard? Have you ever been, eee. I think if you went into a relocation and went in and sat down with a pastor, you might uh, be asked to go to another church if you ask questions like that. But what should we do? Is this practical, Pastor Dan? Today, there are many seminars on leadership, almost without exception. I, I can't speak for Pastor Chris because we get different mail. But almost without exception, very, it will be very rare that it doesn't happen, but every single week across my desk come seminars on leadership training to lead assemblies and on how to build a church in the 21st century. The other difficulty I think is, I think in our culture we're dealing with a situation where <clears throat> we're sincere, intelligent, people that love the Lord, believers, expect that if you send a student to Bible college and he's got a Bible college degree, And he goes to seminary, or she, we'll deal with that in a second. Whether they go to seminary, voila, out comes pastor. They've been to Bible school. They've been to seminary. And honestly, I would guess that probably 99.9% of those that teach at seminaries expect that whoever it is that came out of there, those are the people that you want pastoring. Is that the way that we should do it? It's the way we do it. Let me take the opposite, because it's prominent today and has affected one of the churches that we did start. Should we take the opposite view? That we're not concerned about biblical training at all. That that's not the significant event. In fact, I think what we ought to do is get really back to the Bible and fathers should be the one to pastor the church. And we're going to have a church in my home. And really get back to the earliest stage where the fathers are the ones that are head of the house and they're the ones that determine how the local church should run in their house. Does it really matter, all these things that I put to you? What about women? Where do they fit in? How does this function? Today there's a great emphasis on getting more and more women into leadership. I think it's valid to ask ourselves all these questions about churches, about our church, about if you move to another area, about what it is. Are there any biblical standards? My answer right at the beginning to you is yes, there are biblical standards. And in my personal opinion, I'll make it very strong to you, I think that's what we ought to stick to is what the word of God says. I think it's practical. I think it's moral. And I think we need to get back. It doesn't matter what society thinks. I will not stand answerable to God to that. Neither will you. But we will, as Titus would have and will, As Paul would have and will, and as every local church that calls themselves a local church will have to answer to God for the leadership that is there and that they put themselves under. Why? Because God has given standards and guidelines. So where do we start? Well, I want to get right to the heart of the matter. I am going to deal with all of these words, so don't fret yourself with that. But I think I want to cover some basics right at the beginning. What are the basics? Number one, leadership, by God's design, is to be male leadership. Men. That goes in the face of everything that I see everything that our society is facing. It goes against all modern thinking. And what you hear, even from the President of the United States, is get with the 21st century. These things have been dealt with long ago. Yes, they have, by almighty God. Now, let me tell you what that does not mean. It starts with male leadership. That does not mean inequality. It does not mean inferiority at all. When you talk about the fact that it should be male leadership, that's not inequality. By man's standards, it is, but not by God's. It is not inferiority. In fact, in Genesis, I'll give you the reference to save a little bit of time. But in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, and I know most of you will be familiar with it anyway, God created us in the image and likeness of God, male and female. That's equality. He has created us male and female. He did that. I didn't do it. No one else did it. There's no inequality whatsoever. The fact is some of us are male and some of us are female and we've all been created and are equal in the eyes of God as being created in the image and likeness of God. Secondly, it does not change our spiritual position. Listen to that again. We are equal in spiritual position. Turn with me to Galatians chapter three. Galatians chapter 3. Now, I could just look at all the qualities here without addressing these couple of things, but I don't think it would do justice to the teaching. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, <clears throat> watch, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Pastor Dan says, Amen. We are all one in Christ. This very passage in many articles that I have read, in much of what comes across my desk, is the one for saying that female leadership in local assemblies is correct because we're all one in Christ. You by the way know well that you always look at the context. This is dealing with salvation. We are all one in Christ. Is there still a difference between a Jew and a Gentile? Of course there is. Is there still a difference if a person's a slave and a free man? Of course there is. But not in the position in Christ. Because we've all been freed by the blood of Christ. There is no distinction there. And if I didn't know that, look at verse 22. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin. Everyone under sin. Why? So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. It's dealing with salvation. Look at verse 24. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. Why? So that we may be justified by faith. That is salvation. Verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's salvation. Verse 27. For all of you were baptized into Christ, having clothed yourself with Christ. The whole context is dealing with salvation. That is what leads to verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Why? Because he ends with it. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Being male or female does not change the fact that we are equal in God's eyes. There is equality. It is not dealing with inferiority. It is not dealing with spiritual position in Christ whatsoever. Then what is it dealing with, Pastor Dan? It is dealing with our roles. R-O-L-E-S. It is dealing with our roles ever since creation. I'm only gonna go to a couple of verses. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 11, New Testament. 1 Corinthians 11. Ever since creation, God has had a role. Let me make it as simple, and I know you're gonna think I'm foolish in using this example, but let me make it simple. I have never, I will never, nor will I ever want to have a baby. Why? I am a male. I will not carry a child. I will not birth a child like that, and that's the way it is because that's the way I was created. And in our midst there are females here, and you'll be the ones that will birth children, and you will have What comes with that? As the Lord dealt with that in the book of Genesis. The Lord gave responsibilities to Adam in the beginning, and he gave others to his wife. And I think 1 Corinthians 11, for simplicity, really helps us look at verse 3. Watch. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. That is a reality. And the man is the head of a woman, not by man wanting that by God's design, and God is the head of Christ, and it goes on. That's been that way since creation, and what you will find, very simply, as I'm dealing with male leadership, is this, if you look through your Bible, you will find out that there were no women priests. That is actually becoming a debate today, whether priests, in the and I'm not in favor of the Roman Catholic Church, you know that but they are now debating whether or not there should be women priests. There were no priests. In fact, you had to be in the Levitical line, and you could not be female. There were no Levitical priests. Listen, there were no female Old Testament writers. God did not choose a one. That's His choice. That doesn't mean there are any less. God chose men to write. There are no New Testament female writers of scripture. Only male. There were no female elders in Israel history or in church history, early history, until they departed. It's this way the scriptures are. There were no and should not be any female pastor teachers over males. Now, I know that is not popular. I know that it is not liked. And I know by this afternoon, if enough people listen to the message, and no one's going to do that anyway, but if they did, we could have protest here at the building. It doesn't matter. Because you won't find it in Scripture. Why? God's design for public worship Now, listen carefully. God's design for public worship and for the public assembly is for it to be led by qualified men. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 2. This is a basic that when I'm going on and we're looking at the qualifications and so forth, I want to put to rest immediately the issue of male or female. 1 uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want you to see this. I want you to notice verse 8. Therefore, I want the men, and by the way, this is the word for man, meaning male. I want the men in every place to pray. It's talking about the public assembly. Now, watch verse 9. Likewise, God says, I want the women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair, gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. In other words, you make a claim to godliness, dress like it. But I want you to notice verse 11. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, But I do not allow a woman to teach, or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet." What is that dealing with? The role of a man, the role of a woman in a public setting, in public worship, and that is the design. Women are not to be teaching over men in a local church. Now listen carefully, please. This has nothing, nothing to do with intelligence. It's got nothing to do with whether women are smarter than men. You've heard me say this, and I will say it with my wife sitting right in front of me. My wife is smarter by a long shot, and I'm not just saying that, than I am. That's a fact. It's got nothing to do with intelligence. It's got nothing to do with, listen, spirituality. This does not mean that women cannot be more spiritual than men. They not only can be, in many cases, they are more spiritual than men. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got nothing to do with equal rights. It's got nothing to do with equality in the eyes of God. It has nothing to do, contrary to our society today, with chauvinism. I didn't choose this. God did. It's got nothing to do with bigotry. That is the current writings today. Paul was nothing more than a bigot in a culture that had that. It's not for the 21st century. Folks, if that's your view, you better throw your whole Bible away, because you've got to show me what is right and what isn't right for our society today. It has nothing to do with prejudice. It's got nothing to do with customs. It's got nothing to do with culture. The concept of male in leadership is simply this. It is God's design, God's choice. It is God's word for the role of the men in the local church. Nothing more, nothing less. They're not greater. They're not better. They're not necessarily more spiritual more intellectual or more of anything but in order for the local church to function the way it should God's design is that it be male leadership and unfortunately I say this guardedly but unfortunately it is absolutely contrary to the feminist movement of our day and age and more importantly for you to hear it is absolutely contrary to evangelical feminism. There is a push in evangelical feminism to have female pastors and female elders. And it is ripping the church apart. It is absolutely unfortunate that it is in modern evangelicalism They are abandoning God's instruction and simply going back in their churches, in their schools, and their seminaries, and I want to use their word, to new truth. And what they're teaching is that women can and indeed should be in the pulpit and can, and indeed should be, in the leadership of local churches. Folks, with all of that background, let me just give you a simple thing from our text. You say, Pastor Dan, we're in in Titus. We will get there, and we're going to deal with it all. But go back to Titus chapter 1. I want you to notice... And you find the same thing in 1 Timothy 3, where your responsive reading was. In fact, I probably will turn back there for just a second. But in Titus, I want you to know, listen, in verse 6, it says this, after the first one, which we will deal with later, it says, the husband of one wife. You can't be a woman and be the husband of one wife. I don't care what our society thinks today. Again, you see how things get perverted? The language itself tells you that it's dealing with male leadership. Turn with me to Timothy for a second. It's right nearby, 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm trying to give you principles so you can see. This is not something Pastor Dan wants to get off on a rage about or whatever. It's so important because it is pulling the church apart today. And I have to stand before the Lord and answer for what I teach. And so do you and what you believe. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, I want you to notice this. In verse 1, it says, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. Now, in fairness to that text, it's as if anyone. But I want you to see that it obviously is dealing with male. Why? Look at verse 8 when it's talking about that. It says, Deacons likewise must be men. And then you come down to verse 11. In verse 11, it says, women. Some say that's wives, but it's clear. It's likewise as a comparison. This category is not the same category since it says likewise as it was in verse 1. Neither is verse 8. Verse 8 is a separate category. Verse 11 is a separate category. All of that tells you that those women in verse 11 are not part of the category of verse 1 through 7 when he was dealing with that. So the context itself would tell you very clearly. And I could, if I desired, to expand and go a lot further with some other texts. But let me say this. If women are not to be in the leadership of a church in that capacity of as an elder, why is that? Just for public worship. Are they able to teach children? What about if there's boys in the room? Yes, of course they are. Of course they are. I praise the Lord. First of all, I want to say this publicly again. I praise the Lord for the many godly women we have in this church. We have a lot of godly women and men. We ought to be thankful for our wives and thankful for those who aren't our wives that are teaching and trying to follow God's standards. Of course, we will also find out in Titus when we get there that one of the most important roles of women is to teach other women. Older woman should be teaching other women. Why? To instruct them how to take care of their home. To instruct them in, in the ways that they should be showing godliness. But can they teach children? Yes. And teach boys? Yes. Where is the age? Where do you draw the line? I'll be honest with you. That's a difficult question in the practical sense. But I can tell you where we try to draw the line. And even in, in this church, people are trying to have a feel for that because on Wednesday, we just had the family prayer time, and we all met in here, and Pastor Dan and Pastor Chris have taken the lead, and we're letting women pray. And yes, that's, I believe that that's an exception. I, I believe that it can be in that environment. And then we go back to pray. Now, if we were having a formal public service like we are now, women should not be standing in this pulpit. They should not be leading it over men when you have men there. People have broken it down even to the choir. You say, what? Let me, let me challenge your thinking. When the choir sings, is that part of our worship? When we're singing, is that part of our worship? You see why it's a practical question? It's a practical question. I think that what I'm trying to say to you so you go away with it, the intent, I believe, in scripture is this, that the leadership is to be male in a public setting where the word of God is being taught. And though there could be brighter women sitting in the audience and even have a a correct answer when the pastor or an elder teaches something wrong. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't correct it, but the proper way would be go home to your husband and deal with it the right way. I think enough said, because it's been the entire message where I thought most of it would be, I want to touch two more things before we quickly close. Not only is it to be male leadership, it is to be a plurality of leadership. Listen, folks, pastors are the ones that have the problem with this one. It's a plurality of leadership. He wanted them to appoint elders in every church, in every town. Turn with me to a couple of quick verses. Go with me to Acts chapter 14 again. Acts chapter 14. A couple of quick verses. Verse 23, when they had appointed, what's the next word? Huh? Elders, singular, plural, plural. Elders for them in every church, in every church, in every individual church they appointed elders. Chapter 16, verse 24, Acts. And having received such a command, threw them into the innermost, that isn't what I wanted. That is a bad copying of my notes, sorry. I'll go to chapter 20, I know that one's right. There's another one in chapter 16, I obviously missed the notes. Uh, Chapter 20, verse 17, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. One more passage, Philippians 1. Philippians chapter 1, very first verse, Paul and Timothy bond servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, including who are part of them. The overseers are the elders and the deacons, plural, 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 plural. The idea is a plurality of leadership. You know why? Who's the head of the church? Christ. Who's the head of Fellowship Bible Church? Christ. Both Pastor Stringer and I understand that. People still ask that question. You know, how many at your church? Your church, your church. This isn't Pastor Stringer's church. He was used by God. It's not his church. Pastor Dan's one of the elders here leading the church. It's not my church. It's Christ's church. He's the one building the church. And they put, you put men in leadership, why? To give guidance, as we'll see, to shepherd, to care, to watch over, but it's to be male leadership. I'm gonna have to stop here because it's almost noon now already. There's one other brief area I need to deal with because it's important to the context of what I'm saying right now, the plurality, but also the biblical terms of elder, shepherd, pastor, bishop, overseer. And Titus does address two of the words here in the context, so I think it's important that we understand one more basic thing, and then we'll get into the qualifications. But I challenge you with this as you leave this morning. If you ever do go to another place, looking for another place, or as you're looking for this church, are there any standards? What should you be looking for in leadership? Number one, if it's female leadership, I would leave the church. Plain and simple. Why? Because I'm a bigot. No, because that's God's standard. That's God's standard. Two, when you go in to check out a church, find out if the leadership is qualified. The Church of Jesus Christ doesn't do that today, and for the most part. They don't look at whether or not it meets God's standards. I will assure you of this. And I will tell you this right up front. The first time I was ever asked to be an elder, in fact, the only one that was here at the time was Pastor String and Al Spires. The other men that were here are gone. But when I was asked, as God's my witness, that's the first thing that I said to them. When I was asked, I said, let's get the qualities out and let's start to look at them. Because if I don't meet these qualities, you shouldn't even be asking me when we have someone that we consider at Fellowship Bible Church so you know it. Now, you may not agree with us, but we're going to learn some things together. Part of the reason we don't agree is because you as a congregation, and rightly so to some degree, look for perfection. You know, um, even in some of the areas, you know, you talk about anger, you talk about, it's interesting, I purposely took uh, my wife and daughter to a game that I refereed uh, not too long ago. And they're sitting right in the audience. And it was a very big game. But uh, I wanted them to see what anger really looks like as they s- observe the fans and so forth. And, you know, when you talk about, we have a concept of anger. If somebody loses the temper once, that's it. But in, in, in situations, you really want to see those things. And so we sometimes look for perfection. It's not perfection, but we take this list. And very carefully, as elders, so you know that, examine anyone before we present them to you. We could miss. But those are the standards. They're here for a reason. We'll look at each one of them. We'll look at them closely without bogging down, I hope. And in a couple of messages, get through the standards. But God has standards. Why? Because Christ is building his church. And here's what I want you to get. It's his church. He's the one that's building it. He's the one that brings people to salvation. And he's the one who sets the standards. He's the one that picked 12 male apostles. And he's the one that set the standard for those that would lead and guide. And it's a great responsibility. Let us get back to God's standards in local churches or in going and picking a church or in putting people in office because he's the one we're going to answer to. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that your word does give us guidelines. Titus was not left on his own. Titus was not left to deal with culture or anything else that came along, but he was placed there on that island with a task to do given the standards of God. Father, we have those same standards here today. Help us to realize that we are to abide by them when we're checking a church out, when we're involved in looking for people for leadership positions. And I pray, Father, as we learn and we go through this, that we'd see this is not sinless perfection, but the importance is that these folks that lead us need to be an example to us, and need to be an example of also following you. And people that know you, and people that know your word, so they can give guidance and watch over the flock properly. Thank you for this time together. We pray you'd enable us to be able to come back tonight and have a blessed time with Mark and Johnny. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.